Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Be Customer-Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. Really excited to have you all with us today. We're going to do a different style show. And you're going to have to wait and hang out to see what that means. But um, I've got a really special guest this week. Janet Pollack is an author. She's a speaker. She's an executive coach. Um, and the company she, you know, she, she works out of is In The Lead, Inc. And it's some great coaching, particularly even with young professionals. And um, it's going to we're going to go through a coaching session actually today you know, on the show. We're recording this and um, I think folks are going to get a lot of value out of this. Janet, thanks so much for coming on the show and agreeing to do this with me. My pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it. Same here. So Janet, before we get started, and you've got a really super interesting background, by the way, um, tell our listeners about your professional history and background. Um, and, you know, frankly, you're, you're, you're the first military uh, leader we've had on this show as well, which is pretty cool. But um, I'd love for you to just kind of tell us about that and then how you got into uh, leadership development and coaching. Great. Thank you, Bill. So uh, I graduated from uh, college, the University of Wisconsin at Stout uh, in Wisconsin with a degree in education. And at that time, uh, the economy was shrinking. And so teaching jobs were a little bit hard to come by. So I scratched my head and I said, now what am I going to do? I could have either gone back and gotten a master's and then be especially unemployable, or um, I looked around and decided the military might not be a bad way to go. Peace was breaking out all over the world, and so it was a good time to become a, a military member. I looked at all four services, and a Marine Corps recruiter was just really good. He just hit all the right, right buttons. He talked about esprit and belonging and being one of the few in the crowd. Little did I know that in the 20 years that I was on active duty and in the reserves, that everything would change for women in the military. I equate that mostly to Desert Storm. Uh, we deployed all the women that we had um, during that first um, incursion with Iraq, and women performed admirably. Uh, we now have women in the, at least in the Marine Corps, and certainly in all the services. Uh, flying combat aircraft, um, leading infantry platoons. And so really, I, I believe in the United States Marine Corps, the glass ceiling really was broken. And I think it was broken because these women were put on the spot and they prevailed. They did a great job. They didn't complain. They were physically fit. And um, so there is a lot of opportunity because of that in the military for women. I love that. Yeah, um, you did see a lot of transition in military, all for the better, by the way. Um, in in no in no situation uh, in the military, in corporate, personal, should we limit the talent that we have access to in this country? And that's men and women, all colors, shape, sizes. Doesn't really matter. Um, so, yeah. if if you now kind of fast forward, now you're doing you know leadership development and coaching. Absolutely. You've taken sort of this. Um, or you've or you've packaged everything you learned in the military essentially uh, to working with professionals to make them better um, 
in their own capacity. Um, we we're going to do a coaching session now. So you're going to, I'm going to, I don't know if I should lie down for this Janet or not, but, uh, you know, we'll, uh, it's not, it's not obviously <laughs> no. a, a, a psych session, but the, the scenario that we're going to do folks is, um, a scenario that actually happened to me. And, um, I, I was just promoted to uh, vice president, um, leading a small team at a bank. All the people that I was leading were my peers before the promotion. And while I, I had confidence in my abilities then, you know, I wasn't feeling so super hot about the fact that, um, you know, now I'm leading my peers and I've never done that before and it was very uncomfortable. You know, back then I had teams also, if I just kind of think back to it, I, I, you know, I had aspirations like a lot of young professionals do of leading a large team one day, you know, whatever that meant for, for, for a career. And I thought a lot back then, I also thought that leading a large team was sort of important for my career as well. And, you know, I, I need to plan out my first 90 days, Janet, um, and really not only show the team that I'm going to be a great leader, but also for myself and maybe my own self-confidence on some level. And how might you start that conversation? Yeah. Bill, thank you for this opportunity. I think it's a really good idea. And your situation is what so many leaders have faced. Uh, across the United States anyway, the average individual is promoted to manager at in their late 20s and often don't get any leadership development until almost their mid-40s. And so these new managers, new leaders are left to kind of flounder and figure it out. Maybe they got lucky enough to have um, an experienced manager that they could emulate, but most of us, that's not the case. So tell me, Bill, what what's your natural inclination to do during those first 90 days? That's a good question. I have an I've just sort of have a bias to action generally. And I mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to establish my role as a leader. Be able to, you know, I'm a big believer in managing up and kissing down. And, you know, how do I establish my role as a leader, mm-hmm. but also balance mm-hmm. balance with um you know, the fact that, um, you know, everybody that is now reporting into me were my peers and there might be some resentment. So I, I'm not even sure maybe how do I address that maybe my first, you know, 30 days as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a reality. Some of us have been promoted from our peers. My guess is some of those peers might have thought they should have um, gotten that position that you got promoted into. So you're right. There is a little bit of resentment. But tell me about the... You want to establish your leadership role. What would good look um, like for you? One, setting a, setting a vision. Two, a strategy against that vision. Um, and mm-hmm. number three, it's figuring out how the resources of the team, what we have access to, not just people, but also technology, et cetera, um, how we're going to apply those resources or manage them um, effectively against that strategy. To- yeah, Bill, nice. Yeah, and, and do, do you so. feel like that's the I think, right you know, next step? I think it would help me. I think it would show the team that I'm capable, I'm serious, I want, I want the team to be successful, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how to best allocate the resources mm-hmm. and, and maximize even their strengths in a way that will help us deliver more. I don't want to necessarily... Yeah, I, I don't know if I want to necessarily, or I'm concerned that 
I'm being compared to the prior leader as well. So I'm trying to create sort of my own shoes to fill, mm, not necessarily sure. try to fill someone else's. Sure, 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 sure. Bill, you're not alone. I think I think you've described some outstanding next steps. I think as a leader, you know, there's there's many many solutions as a leader that we can undertake. Uh, what you have to do is do what feels right to you. You know, if I were to sit here and tell you, oh, you also should do a campaign for the team and a logo and all of that, and if that doesn't fit for you, that wouldn't work. So I love how you've given some real thought to setting a vision and then thinking about the strategy and then, you know, figuring out who is really capable and who wants to do what on this team. The old leader, the former leader may not have given people the opportunity to really think about what do I do well? How do I really connect with the work that I'm doing? And what's an opportunity now that we're shuffling things around, which of course naturally happens uh, when you are a leader. Uh, what we know about coaching, Bill, is that coaching, the solutions come from within. You know, I wrote a book. There are hundreds of thousands of leadership articles out there. And I encourage new leaders like you were to do some of that studying, you know, to read, to listen to podcasts and so forth. But at the end of the day, you have to put on your own leadership coat and figure out what really works for you. But what uh, style you're going to have, and then to constantly, I would encourage you to request feedback from your team How uh, as you're I laying out some of these feedback, plans. Jan? What's a good What's a good way to do that? Is that quarterly? Is that sem during like our regular process that mm -hmm. we have at the company? You know, we do semi-annual and annual reviews. Should that go to me? Should that go to my boss anonymously? Like, what's the what do you, what do you think the best way to do that is? So, what would you feel most comfortable doing? I'd be okay with the team providing anonymous feedback or feedback directly to my direct. I, I would hope that mm -hmm. they would feel comfortable sharing that with me directly, unfiltered, or as, as they would, or just, you know, CC me on that note. So I have it as well. I've always been sort of the type of person where yeah. I, you know, I do ask for feedback and always have regularly. I just, um, I always prefer it to be unfiltered, meaning, you know, don't read, you know, just be direct with the feedback. Um, so I certainly that would be my request. Yeah, I'd love to maybe ask quarterly, but I'm not sure if that's too frequent because that is a not against policy, obviously, but um, it maybe is not sort of the, the the rhythm that the company has today. Yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, in my book, I talk about creating a culture of feedback, and how do you do that? You do that through doing it informally and doing it frequently. So I think the nirvana of a team is to get to a point where everybody feels comfortable giving each other feedback. John, I was waiting for the report. I didn't get it until the next day. Uh, I I ran behind and, and now I had to scurry to get the presentation put together. You know, when you can create that environment where everybody owns the feedback, I think you've got something really special going on with a team. Until you get there, though, um, requesting feedback on a regular basis makes good sense, especially as a new leader in those first two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks to find out what are you doing really well and what do I need to do either more of or less of. And so, Bill, you're absolutely on track in thinking about um, yeah, regular feedback is something that and I do you need think to build that is part of like routine. a 90 day plan, Jen. 
Do you think that asking for feedback monthly through each kind of 30-day phase and then maybe going to quarterly or, you know, what have you found to be or what do you think would be a best practice there? I think it's a great practice um, to, to get, you know, to set that up early with your team. Of course, you have to introduce that to them if that's what you're going to do, um, that I'm going to ask for feedback regularly and these are going to be a 30-day intervals. So start thinking about it so you're not surprised. Um, Something I've been doing a lot lately with executives is actually doing a 90, 120-day brand-new-to-the-role narrative feedback. And so I'm hired to talk to individuals that report to this leader, that talk, talk to the boss to say, so what is Sharon doing well? What does she need to think about in turning on in terms of overcoming resistance and um, what does she need to do to be successful? So Bill, you're absolutely on track to think about how do I gather all this feedback early on and immediately? So I don't develop a habit that annoys my staff. I don't want to do that. Certainly not as a new uh, leader. The one thing that kind of, you know, is keeping me up at night is this, you know, um, and I don't know if it's, in my head or if it's, you know, a reality is, but I, I think some, some members may, you know, one or at least one or two may feel slighted that they sort of deserve that promotion to be leading the team. Um, you know, I want to address that directly with them. Um, I don't do, want to do it in a way where I make them mm-hmm. feel, um, what's the best way to put it defensive. I don't want them to be on sort of on their heels. Um, and I want to get off on mm-hmm. the right foot. Right. How do I kind of soften? Do you have any like thoughts about how I might soften that message? I don't want to. Um, th- there is one in particular person there that I know wanted the promotion. They told me even before um, it was announced. Yeah. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. about just addressing that directly. You know, we've mm-hmm. got to work together. I value them as an individual. Um, mm-hmm. I value them as a, as a critical member of the team and their expertise and what they can do. Is there, you know, but again, and I know that they wanted it, but again, we've got to work together and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that yeah. there's a partnership and, you know, where yeah. we're, bo- we, where we're both successful, not just, you know, I'm not looking for you to help me be successful. That's not the, uh, it's not the MO. Um, so how, how might I approach that? Is that a yeah. decent way to kind of think about tailoring that conversation or is there anything else I might want to think about? Yeah. So, Bill, what's your hesitancy here? I maybe just what, what's holding you back a little bit from just maybe having a little imposter syndrome is in there, right? Um, you know, questioning myself, which I don't, you know, again, that's just sort of you know mm-hmm. thinking back to that time, Jan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, could I do this? And even though I had confidence in my abilities, it was my first time leading a team, right? And I don't, I didn't want to screw that up, certainly. Um, cause I know, I, I know what the impact of that could be. So yeah, yeah I think there's the, the hesitancy is, you know, just being a first time leader and not wanting to, uh, you know, not wanting to mess that up. And, and, and could that have negative long-term implications for my career? Yeah. Right. Bill, I get a sense from hearing you that you're a genuine caring individual and a genuine caring leader. And so taking time to meet with this individual to say, I know this could be awkward, you know, calling out what is on the ta- potentially on the table and then asking the question, as you suggested, how do we work together? Well, 
How do I support you now in your next promotion, in you being successful, in advocating to you throughout the organization, um, even though you didn't get this particular promotion? That's great advice. I think you're absolutely right on the right track. That's uh, great advice, actually. Um, And what did happen? Go ahead, sorry. Well, Bill, I think what you're finding in, in a coaching conversation is it's not my role to give you advice, although sometimes my clients will tell me that. My role is to help you uncover what you've already mm-hmm. got a sense about what you should do. Um, you know, should I do A or should I do B? And in a coaching conversation, we talk about the value of A versus the value of B and the downside of A and B. But you know, finally, you've got to do what you think is going to be right for you. Because if I tell you about some solution, it's going to be like, well, my coach told me to do this. It seems kind of wonky, but, <laughs> and and then it's not going to go yeah, well. There, there is a real difference between mentoring, which is here's what I had done in similar situations in coaching. Um, how are you thinking about approaching and asking the questions to kind of get out the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what that individual wants to do? Um, I, steering them down a path of, of success, of course, through that. Um, lucky enough for me, I did have. Lucky enough for me, I did have a really Absolutely. good leader um, at the time. knew I was a new manager. Really helped me through that process. Sometimes they were a mentor. Sometimes they were a coach. And I've always found that the great leaders that I've always worked for mm-hmm. know when to turn mentor on and mentor off, and know when to turn coach on and coach off. Uh, frankly, depending on the situation, which I think yeah. is really important. Absolutely. Sorry. Bill, I think too, as a brand new manager, as a brand new manager, sometimes we are reluctant to ask for help. You already mentored, uh, mentioned imposter syndrome. You know, we were really, really good at being an individual contributor. And so, ta-da, the organization thinks, oh, I must be a spectacular manager. And yet we don't train them or teach them or do anything other than that other than in the military. Um, and uh, so brand new managers are left to think, well, I think I know what I'm doing, but I'm not, Don't, I'm not positive. And I loved how you um, utilized your manager to tap into her, his or her wisdom on, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Does it fit into the style of the organization? Does it reinforce our, our organizational values? Uh, if I approach the situation this way, will the pe- person feel supported and not put on the spot? So utilizing people in our network, including our manager, is really important for new managers uh, to leverage. And I think they just don't think they should because they don't want to show their vulnerability. It's a great point. Do you know, one of the things, Jan, like when you think about sort of the great resignation and everything that's going on today, it really does feel like middle management is in this terrible squeeze, right? To your point before, and I love your point around most people don't get coaching in, in their, mm-hmm. until they're 40. It, you know, obviously, you know, and you might get that maybe in your, in your early mm-hmm. career as well. Yep. Why do you think that is? Why, why do you think folks in the middle there are not getting the support that they need? That frankly is, is, is make or break for people, a lot of people. I think, Bill, it's a couple of, of, of reasons. Number one, there are a lot of managers in organizations. So, you know, we think about a triangle. There's one CEO and then there's a few executive team members and the numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger as we move down. And so I think organizations get 
overwhelmed by how do I prepare these brand new managers, um, especially before we get them promoted to think about what do good managers do. Um, so I think that it's the volume, I think, is one challenge. I think the other thing is there's a false perception that if I really train and prepare this manager, then she'll leave. She'll go someplace else. And I think what we've learned through research over and over again, that if we train her, if we develop her, if we give her confidence in that new role, she's more likely than not going to stay. And um, what we're seeing, I think, just in the last month now in the workforce is there is a settling that I am finding is that people kind of did all their job changes. Now they're they're dug into their new organization and they're hoping they'll stay. I think their demands from their leadership is still high that, yes, we're going to have conversations about my career. Yes, we're going to talk about what I really love to do. Yes, I'm going to let you know when things aren't going well. Uh, but that doesn't mean just because we have that conversation that I'm going to leave the organization. That's a really interesting point. And I think one that a lot of companies and leaders kind of miss. Mm-hmm. What do you think just from a, from a middle manager perspective, if I'm a leader and I've got, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm managing five managers of, of other, of, of teams, right? Um, what are you seeing in the marketplace, Jan, where, that leader should be focusing on their their attention, mm. uh, sort of the leader of those managers. How should they be focusing their yeah. attention to make sure that those managers are equipped with what they need to to be able to be successful and 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 you're not losing people either at that level or even below. Yeah. I think what I talk to organizations about more than anything else is having valuable one-on-one conversations. And when I raise that, a manager, a director will say to me, oh, Janet, I talk to my people all the time. You know, we we interact almost daily. I ask them what they're working on, if they have any problems. But a really quality one-on-one conversation is something different. It's number one, how are you doing? How are you really doing, Bill? You know, we've been through lots of chaos in the last two or three years. How, how are the kids settling into school how is your spouse doing in their career? How are you? You know, I understand your mother was sick. How's she feeling? Just that personal connection. Then we say, so what do you feel good about? What have you accomplished recently that, that you know, uh, gave you a chance to learn and overcome resistance? And so we talk about that. And then what challenges are you up against? Is it just resource or is it capability of the resource? Is it volume or is it content of the job? And then how can I help you be successful? It's amazing. I talk to managers and I say, you have to understand what your employee aspires to become. Because how can I help them aspire if I don't know what they aspire to? And managers will say to me, oh, but I can't have that job, have that conversation. What if they want my job? Well, great. At (laughs) least you know it. You know, they want your job, but they're not ready yet. Well, let's get them ready. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think as a leader, helping your managers learn how to have good one-on-one conversations and then Mm -hmm. holding them accountable to have those. They don't have to happen every single week and they don't have to be an hour, an hour and a half long. 30 minutes every other week. Don't ever 
postpone them, don't ever cancel them, but have them on a regular basis to just find out how is that employee thriving have in you, your environment. I, look, you work with a lot of organizations, more people are having them, or is the balance still more companies need to be having them? I think we're getting better. I hearken back to a leadership development program. I did at an insurance company this winter. And I said to this group of 20 leaders, you know, none of them were brand new in the first 90 days. They had all been managers for, for several months, up to several years. And I said, what do your, what do your one-on-ones look like? And this one lovely manager who I will always be so grateful for said, Janet, I don't have them because I don't know what I'd cover. So I just avoid them. So I think there's a lot of fear of what are they going to ask and what if I can't answer it and not knowing how to really have a good one-on-one conversation that isn't just a task list. You know, who wants to leave a meeting with their manager with 102 additional things to, to work on? You know, so this isn't about doling out more work. A good one-on-one is really about having an engaging conversation in you, the employee, and how are you thriving at work? I love, Jen. I know we're uh, we're we're um, we're coming up on time here. I do have two more questions for you, though. If you can hang on for just a couple more minutes with us, um, this has been a really great conversation. Even just even the scenario yep, that we 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 played out, um, just as a leader, just I. I I'm reflecting even on my own leadership uh, now as well. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Are, are there leaders in the industry that you look up to or, or look at and say, there's a person to emulate? You know, should our listeners be, um, you know, wh- what other leaders maybe that you look up to or you try, you look, you, you think are um, really emulating the style and the approach that other leaders could or should be doing uh, that maybe our listeners haven't thought about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think they're everywhere, and they they struggle with um, what does good leadership look like. Um, so I don't think a lot of us have had real good managers to emulate after, but I think they are in many many places, and it has to do with a lot of senior leadership setting the expectation that people stuff really does matter. That yes, we have to hit our pr- productivity m- numbers, but we have to hit them by engaging other people. And even if you work in a distribution warehouse, you know, that constant on the clock, how many boxes have you filled? How many cases have you moved? It is redundant and it's draining. And if there isn't some bigger connection to what is this organization about, employees are gonna move through that company, you know, until they find something better. So, um, finding, I think ma- good managers are everywhere, but good good management can be developed, but it you have to work at it. it. For most of us, it just doesn't come automatically. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Jan, where do you go for inspiration? I'm sure there are some places you go that fill up your cup or fill up your time. Where do I go for inspiration? I, I, I love TED Talks and listening to those breakthrough ideas. Um, I... I kind of go for anti-inspiration sometimes when I look at leaders on the national landscape and say, oh my gosh, you know, they're not inspiring at all. Um, I, I try to watch the leaders that I work with to say, what have they done really, really well? 
um, and, and capture that kind of in a, I, I don't have a list on my computer of great leaders who have done great things, but I'm pretty good at capturing that in my head um, and remembering what those experiences look like and remembering that those people are just like you and I. They care about their individuals. They care about mm -hmm. being promoted over somebody else and how that other person is going to respond. And so um, they take time working on their relationships That's with great. their I colleagues. Um, Jan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Wonderful to have you on. And I, I'm, I'm so grateful that you agreed to do the coaching session uh, on the show as well. Really different approach for, for us uh, on this show, but um, I think it really teased out some really valuable lessons um, and uh, grateful to have you on. Great. Thank you so much, Bill. I really enjoyed it. All right, it. everybody. Another great show for you. We're out. Thanks for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.